Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Hello, everyone. We're just a couple of days away from Thanksgiving, which means plenty of food and plenty of football. We have an hour to talk about everything happening in the National Football League right now. Shereen Williams joining me. Shereen, good afternoon. How are you today? Hi, Mike. Well, it looks like I'm better than Tom Brady is. He didn't look good in that, did he? He did not look good in that. The only thing about Tom Brady that looks good is his hair. And as I said earlier today, it (laughs) seems to get a shade darker every week. Eventually, it's going to be Johnny Cash Black, and then he can just sing Folsom Prison Blues as he walks away from the game once and for all. We're going to talk about the struggles that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are dealing with offensively coming up. Let's get right into it, though, because we have a loaded show today. MDS is going to join us coming up for our Week 11 awards, a Tuesday tradition here. We are, I don't want to say scrapping, just postponing for one week the rewatch feature because Football Pod in America was moved from Wednesday to Tuesday of this week. So that takes up about half the show. So we don't have much time to tell you everything you need to know. And as usual, there is plenty to know, Shereen. Let's start with the Baltimore Ravens. More positive tests for the organization. It's not just players. There were reportedly four more positives today, but only one player placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. That's linebacker Pernell McPhee. It sounds like he was a positive, although we can't assume anything. They never say whether or not a guy was a positive. It gets reported by someone or it doesn't. You just have to wait to see whether or not he comes off or whether or not there's a report that he was positive. If he's positive, he won't be playing on Thursday night. If he's just close contact with someone who's positive. He's got 48 hours to get to the point where he can return, and it's a five-day window from when you were exposed. Now, if he was exposed to somebody on Sunday, and that's when this all started with a couple of running backs who tested positive, he won't be back in time for Thursday. So my guess would be no McPhee. We already know no J.K. Dobbins, no Mark Ingram, no Brandon Williams if he was exposed to Dobbins or Ingram on Sunday. And more importantly for the Ravens, No practice today. Everything was conducted virtually on the most important practice day on a short week because Monday you don't do anything. Wednesday's a walkthrough. Tuesday's your work day. Their work day was spent at home communicating via their computers, Shereen. Yeah, they're COVID depleted, Mike, going into this game. And they already faced an uphill battle to stay in this race, to beat the Steelers, which they need to do to stay in at least the division race, which I think is a long shot at this point. But uh, who knows how many players they're going to end up with. We do expect there to be more players added to the list before Thursday night that won't play in that game. So we'll see the numbers that they have. They're already down at running back. They're going to have to call up a practice squad player at running back to have even three running backs, assuming that none of the other running backs are going on the list. If they are, then they're really going to be hard up at running back. And you may see Lamar Jackson be their entire running game uh, on Thursday night. But it, it this, is, this is difficult for the Ravens. There's no question about that. We've seen a couple this year, Mike, where teams have had all these COVID cases and it's been very difficult on them. This is one of the toughest I've seen that they're going to have to make do uh, with what they have and without the players on the COVID list. Yeah, I don't even know that smashing watermelons would work for John Harbaugh <laughs> on Wednesday night before they go to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. And... The other reality here is they are still in the window where there could be additional positives because of the incubation period. Those are the two donut holes the NFL has been wrestling with all year. The incubation period of up to five to seven days between exposure and 
generation of a positive test if you do have enough exposure to actually come down with the disease and that lag between sample collection and result generation, which is what stung them on Sunday with the positive samples given by Ingram and Dobbins and then finding out that they were around their teammates all day long while they were shedding virus. That is the thing that can continue to cause problems. And that's why they're operating remotely, because somebody could end up testing positive today So by staying home, that person who ultimately we find out tomorrow tested positive today wasn't in a position to shed virus over others and potentially make the situation worse. The NFL is monitoring the developments and has indicated that the game is still on. And why is the game still on? Why didn't they move it to Sunday or Monday or Tuesday? Because, and and let's face it, there is a commitment to stage a game that will be televised on Thursday night on NBC, and there will be between 20 and 25 million people who watch it because it's a captive audience. It's the best game of the day, and the NFL doesn't want to give that up. And there's no no guarantee, Shireen, that if they move it to Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, that it'll be any better. So they decided week seven, Bucks Raiders, strike while the iron is hot. Get the game played. Don't delay because you may not get the game in at all if you decide to just wait by a couple of days. So next man up, go sign somebody if you have to. Let's go. You see, the problem is because of that that waiting period on the front end, I, it's not as easy to sign somebody. You better have your practice squad ready or, or you're, you're, you're stuck. That's it. You, you, you better have your, your warm bodies. You better be thinking about who on defense could maybe play running back if need be. I mean, this may be old school two-way football before it's all said and done, but the NFL is going to expect teams to show up, to be ready, no matter who's on that COVID-19 reserve list. And I don't know what the number is of a critical mass that would get the NFL to pull the plug. I don't think the NFL wants to find out, and I think the NFL is going to resist saying, okay, that's it, we're going to give you – uh, a pass here. We're going to delay the game until week 18 or whatever. I think they're going to resist that as long as they possibly can, Shereen. Yeah, I've asked that a couple times, Mike, on the conference calls that, that we've had with the NFL, and, and they won't answer that question. But you know they have numbers. I mean, colleges all have those numbers. Uh, and there is a number out there. And obviously you have to have a quarterback to play, and there are certain positions you have to have a certain number of offensive linemen, a certain number of defensive linemen to play. I think offensive line and quarterback are the, are the key positions that you need. I don't think they're going to worry about it. If the Ravens don't have any running backs, hey, put RG3 out there or put Lamar Jackson out there at running back and – and go. And and simple facts are, Mike, I, I think maybe if they could have moved a game into that spot, they would have. But look, they're not going to give up Thanksgiving Day games. They're the highest rated games almost annually uh, for the for the networks. They just are. People watch. I mean, that, what else do you have to do on Thanksgiving Day except to eat and watch football? And so that's what people do. And the ratings are extremely high for those games. The Cowboys game almost always ranks number one in regular season games. Uh, based on ratings. And so they can't move a game from Sunday to Thursday. That's impossible. They want to get that game in and have those high ratings for all three of those games. Yeah, and uh, that is the objective. And the NFL seems to have come to terms with that a few weeks back, and that will be the process for the rest of the year. A couple of other news items real quick before we continue the conversation. Jaguars defensive staff out of the facility today because of COVID-19 issues. We'll monitor that. Joe Jackson, Browns defensive end, the replacement for Miles Garrett. He's been added to the COVID-19 reserve list. Deontay Thompson, Cardinals safety, also on the 
COVID-19 reserve list. And some concerning news out of Dallas. The Cowboys canceled practice today because of an emergency medical issue unrelated to COVID-19 involving strength and conditioning coach Marcus Paul. You may remember the name. He was a defensive back in the late 80s, has been a strength and conditioning coach for a long time in the NFL, 54 years old. Cowboys had an update this afternoon that uh, they are continuing to run tests on Marcus Paul, but they shut down practice today because of it, and we extend our best wishes to the Cowboys and to Marcus Paul's family, friends, and colleagues. All right, let's pivot now, Shireen, to the aftermath of Monday night. Bruce Arians has confidence in Tom Brady, has confidence in the deep ball, even though the evidence would suggest otherwise. One for nine on passes 15 or more yards down the field on Monday night with two interceptions. Here's Bruce Arians from earlier today talking about the Buccaneers' struggles with the long ball. We've got the guys open. We just missed them. And uh, there are times when coverage dictates you go to that guy. So um, I think we can do a better job. Uh, of uh, utilizing the deep ball in our game plan uh, more of or less of. So each each and every week so different. But uh, when they're there, we need to hit them. We can't have them going off our fingertips, and we can't overthrow them. We have Tom calling a lot of his own. We're picking his own on the sidelines, you know, from the right. game plan. So um, I don't think it's a confidence problem whatsoever. It's just still um, some – it's not lack of trust. It's just lack of continuity within the offense. Yeah, look, Bruce Arians said a lot today in a 12-minute session. They kept coming back to this issue of throwing the ball down the field, Tom Brady having trust, Tom Brady having confidence, and that's when Arians said, hey, he's changing plays. He's on the sideline saying what plays he wants. So, yeah, the there's this push and pull. Who's really advocating for these throws that aren't working? Some people think it's Arians. Some people think it's Brady. Some people think Brady can't do the things that Arians wants him to do. That came up today, and Arians said he can do it all. I see him do it all. I see him do it all the time. There's a weird dynamic here, Shereen. It's not working. They need to get back to doing what they did against the Panthers with two tight end sets. They need to resist the urge to show off because it's not working. It's like, hey, look, Ma, no hands, and you ride the bike right into a tree. Yeah, Mike, you talked about which I may have done once or twice. <laughs> you talk about passes of 15 yards or more. How about 20 yards or more? The last four weeks, he's 0 of 19 with three interceptions. Weeks 1 through 7, he was 14 of 39, two touchdowns and no interceptions. So something has changed. But look, we talked about Drew Brees' arm strength. It hadn't been a problem because he didn't throw it long. He dinks and dunks, and it works for the Saints. they got to figure something out in Tampa. Yes, they do, and they have the Kansas City Chiefs coming up this weekend, and I still think it's some level because, look, everyone's got an element of vanity and ego. I think Tom Brady sees Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray in prime time, sees Patrick Mahomes in prime time. He wants to show what he can do, and now he's got that fight against Patrick Mahomes coming up, a rematch of the 2018 AFC Championship game. One of the big questions, will he actually shake Mahomes' hand after the game? I think he will. He didn't last night. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, a tradition unlike any other or something. MBS, Shereen Williams, and Mike Florio here with our awards for Week 11. We do it every Tuesday on PFTPM. Hello to MDS, and let's get right into it. We don't have a lot of time. So, MDS, Offensive Player of the Week, Week 11, go. 
Jared Goff had a season-high 376 yards and three touchdowns against the Buccaneers on Monday night. He looked very comfortable against the Bucs defense that has made a lot of quarterbacks uncomfortable. And I believe if he keeps playing like this, the Rams are real contenders to get to the Super Bowl. How about another team that's a real contender and the top contender now for the MVP award, MDS, and that's Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, we sort of take him for granted because he seems to do it week in and week out. But I talked to a, a Raiders official this week, and he said, you know, when we scored and there was 143 left on the clock, I knew we were in trouble with Patrick Mahomes there. Andy Reid said it. I've got Pat Mahomes. He probably made Mrs. Mahomes, Mother Mahomes, a little bit mad by calling him Pat. But <laughs> Pat, Patrick Mahomes did it again. He was outstanding in winning that game against the Raiders. Yeah, I have a feeling Andy Reid has slightly more sway in the Mahomes household than Lewis <laughs> Riddick does, but that was one of the classic moments earlier this year when Randy Mahomes decided to tweet during the game, please get my son's name right. Deshaun Watson has had a very challenging season with the Houston Texans. They were 2-7 and seven entering the game against the New England Patriots. I thought it was the easiest play of the week. The Patriots only giving two points to the Texans. Are you kidding me? The Texans are dysfunctional. All they have is Deshaun Watson. We know what Bill Belichick does. He takes away what the other team does best. All the other team does is let Deshaun Watson do his thing. Surely they'll be able to shut him down. Yada, yada, yada. The end result was Deshaun Watson takes down the Patriots. And there was a moment where he bowled his way into the end zone, and he is not nearly thick enough to be bullying anyone. But I almost felt like in that moment, that was where a full year of frustration came out. And it's, I'm sick of this crap. And he just decided he was going to make that score because who knows whether anyone else on the offense could be trusted to get into the end zone. So I was impressed with knowing the opponent, knowing the approach, knowing that he was the focal point of everything they were doing defensively to shut him down. For him to have the game he did, get a pride win for the Texans at a time when it would be very easy to just throw in the towel to the benefit of the Miami Dolphins because the Dolphins hold the first and second round picks of the Houston Texans. So on a rare occasion, the Dolphins rooting for the Patriots on Sunday, if they were rooting for anyone, didn't work out. Texans get their third win of the year. Who knows how many more wins they will get, but I think that's one that really should make us appreciate Deshaun Watson even more. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. MDS, who's your Week 11 Defensive Player of the Week? My Defensive Player of the Week is Olivier Vernon, who knew the Browns needed him to step up in a big way with Miles Garrett out because of COVID-19, and Vernon did step up in a big way. Three sacks against the Eagles, and, you know, Vernon took a pay cut this season and said one of the reasons he was willing to do that was he wants to play on a playoff team and he thinks the Browns are a playoff team. And that may sound insane <laughs> given the Browns' recent history, but I don't think it is insane this year. I think the Browns may very well be heading to the playoffs. MDS, there were so many defensive players, it was really hard to pick. You could have gone with any of those Steelers or J.J. Watt. I went with Donovan Wilson, and any time I can pick an Aggie, you know it's a good day. But the question I have is why it took the Cowboys so long to put Donovan Wilson back there at safety. He started the last six games, and, you know, when he was at A&M, the NCAA actually changed the rule after he left the targeting rule that said if you have more than two 
targeting penalties in a year, you're subject to suspension. He had three in one season. This guy can hit hard. Who knows what else he can do, but he can hit hard. And he, you saw that with the hit on Cousins, which was a helmet-to-helmet hit he'll be fine for, but he took the ball away. And then the hard hit on uh, Dalvin Cook that forced another fumble. So he had two fumbles and a fumble recovery. And I thought he just really made a, di- a, a difference in that Cowboys defense. And if he keeps playing like that, the Cowboys have a chance to go to the playoffs. They need defensive help, and he helped them. Such a weird comment. The Cowboys have a chance to go to the playoffs because of their record, but because of their division, they do. And I really think whoever wins on Thursday is going to have that glow coming from the big spot trip to fan bowl every year. The big red kettle will be out there. I have a feeling that the winner, and I don't know, I'm going to make my picks tomorrow. It may be the Cowboys going to four and seven and maybe in great position to win the division. For me, it's Cam Jordan. The Saints defense has been phenomenal the past few weeks. We get so caught up in the offense and will the offense play better and what's Drew Brees going to do? Can he get the ball down the field? And where's Michael Thomas and is he healthy and what's he going to do? And here's Alvin Kamara and what's Taysom Hill's role before Drew Brees was injured. Now, how's Taysom Hill going to do at quarterback? We forget about the defense. Cam Jordan had three sacks. They held the Buccaneers to three points in that Sunday night game. They shut down the 49ers, which isn't hard to do without Jimmy Garoppolo on the field, but they still did it. And then to hold the Falcons when they had two weeks to get ready for the game to single digits. That is a testament to a great defense in New Orleans. They are as balanced as anyone in the NFC. I think right now it's a toss-up between the Saints and the Rams for the best team in the NFC. Hopefully they're on a collision course to meet in the postseason, and hopefully the officials will be ready to call any and all pass interference that may happen if the Saints and Rams meet again. All right, Rookie of the Week time, MDS, who do you have? I have Justin Herbert, who threw for three touchdowns on Sunday. That was his fifth three-touchdown game in only nine career starts. That is unprecedented in NFL history for a quarterback to do that that quickly, to have five three-touchdown games in just nine career starts he's playing great football i think the chargers still have quite a bit of work to do in building their roster but wow do they ever have a good young quarterback mike you talked about whoever wins thursday's game against between dallas and washington has a good chance to win the nfc east well i think we're gonna get a big dose of antonio gibson he's been very good Rookie third-round draft pick. He had 16 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown in helping take the pressure off of Alex Smith in that victory over Cincinnati. So going to see more of him this week and more of him this year. Yeah, and look, whoever, as I said, wins that game on Thursday is going to be in great, great shape to win the division. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow just because, number one, it's – very sad and depressing to see such a promising young player done for the year and he did have a very special season and he he deserves to be appreciated for what he did for the Bengals I'm still a little frustrated the Bengals didn't do a better job of protecting him the hit that he took on his leg if you haven't seen it yet don't go look for it I don't know that that he'll be back in time for the start of next season I hope they don't take any chances with the kid I saw Booger McFarland arguing last night they should treat next year as a redshirt season but Joe Burrow was on pace to do some really great things as a rookie he did some great things he turned that team around he made a team that had been boring for several years interesting and I just hope he's back sooner than later it looks like it's going to be a long road and hopefully he can recover from it and and maybe be back by week one but above all else be back when he's healthy and ready to go coach of the week MDS who do you have I have Matt Rule. You know, the Panthers have had a lot of injuries. 
Uh, most notably, Teddy Bridgewater and Christian McCaffrey were both out Sunday, and yet they absolutely dominated the Lions. That that was just an impressive performance by the Panthers. Look, you can say what is a game between the Panthers and the Lions late in the season even mean, but what it means to me is Matt Rule has the players out there playing hard. I think there's still a lot of work to do in developing that roster, but I think the Panthers found the right coach to do it in Matt Rule, and I think the proof is in how hard they played for him in difficult circumstances on Sunday. MDS, I think we saw the genius that is Sean Payton again at work on Sunday. And the, the Saints now are 6-0 and without Drew Brees over the last two years with Teddy Bridgewater 5-0 and last season and now Taysom Hill. And they just seem to find a way to win no matter who's at quarterback. And he's just done an outstanding job again this season. And I have total faith that he will continue to do that once Drew Brees retires. He's just shown it again and again and again that the Saints are going to be a contender from now on. You know, it's been a rough day for the Cowboys organization because of the situation with Marcus Paul. They shut down practice. We don't have all the details yet, and we'll wait for the team to release the details before we provide them. But Mike McCarthy, after the bye week, getting it together and knocking off a team that – We were just checking off the wins. Oh, Cowboys, there's a win. Panthers, there's a win. Jaguars, there's a win. Getting his guys ready to go to Minnesota and win that game with the Gallagher homage and the sledgehammers to the watermelons. Whatever it takes, baby. Whatever you got to do to get your guys motivated. He pressed the right buttons. He got it done. And the Cowboys were ready to go out and get the win. And now they're in position to double their win total in just five days from Sunday to Thursday. And if they do that, they will be in business. Maybe Mike McCarthy will jump in the Salvation Army kettle, not Ezekiel Elliott at some point on Sunday. As long as he doesn't take a sledgehammer to it, uh, all is fair once they roll out the kettle for the holiday season. All right. Um, That's it. We got through all the awards. MDS, thanks as always. Happy Thanksgiving to you. We're going to take a quick break. When we return... We'll talk about the big game coming up on Thursday night. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Thanksgiving night, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens battle Ben Roethlisberger and the undefeated Steelers in this AFC North matchup. Thanksgiving night, 8 Eastern, only on NBC. Cannot wait for the game. Despite the issues that the Ravens are dealing with, the Ravens are desperate. Shireen, no team is more dangerous than when it is desperate. They lose the game. They are mathematically eliminated from winning the division. They will be teetering closer to the brink of not even making it to the playoffs. And this is the opportunity for the Steelers to deliver the death blow to their season. You don't want the Ravens to show up during the postseason. You don't want that because that could end up disrupting your shot at the Super Bowl because they're not going to be intimidated by you come January. You know, the Steelers are reducing their fans after this game from 5,500 down to just friends and family. By January, it may be the same thing due to the pandemic. There's no real home field advantage. You don't want the Ravens to be the team that shows up. So they have every reason to not feel sorry for the Ravens and knock them out of the postseason field if they can. 
Yeah, Mike, this was one game we looked at when we started thinking about the Steelers going undefeated that they could possibly lose. I don't see them losing this game. I think Buffalo or Indy are more likely. But you're right about a dangerous team. When you have a dangerous team that feels like its back is against the wall, that's when you don't take them for granted. And this is a huge rivalry. So I know the Steelers won't do that. This is going to be a good game. A great defensive battle, I think, despite the Ravens' losses for COVID. I I think it's still going to be a really good defensive battle. Oh, that Buffalo game is looming on a Sunday night coming up in a few weeks. The Indianapolis game is week 17 in Pittsburgh, a couple of days after Christmas. Those are the two that I look at as the biggest potential concerns. But Ravens-Steelers, you never know what's going to happen. The Ravens outplayed them last time around, but the Steelers still got the win. We'll see what happens on Thanksgiving night. Football pod in America is next right here on PFT PM. And welcome to Football Pod in America. Mike Tariq goes off. Please keep watching. I'm Liam McHugh. Tony Dungy is here. Rodney Harrison is here. Mike Florio is here. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This is the best football week of the year. We get the three games on Thursday. We get the then full slate on Sunday. But we're going to start with what happened on Monday Night Football. The Bucks lose again, this time to the Rams. Brady, two more picks. Now is nine on the season. That's more than he had all last year. Guys, this is a team that a month ago had those dominant back-to-back wins, Green Bay and Las Vegas. Tony, I'll start with you. How deep, how serious do you think their issues are right now in Tampa Bay? Well, I don't think they're totally bad, but uh, the environment here certainly has changed. We've gone from, hey, who are we going to play in the Super Bowl to, I don't know if we can win another game uh, in the city. And, you know, really it came down to two bad throws by Tom Brady. He played pretty well. The two deep balls down the middle, whether they were overthrows, they got away from him. Uh, They just didn't look good and they came at the wrong time. Defensively, they're still going to be fine. Jared Goff had a good game. Good game plan, got rid of the ball quick, but uh, they, they can play with anybody. It's just a matter of how consistent they're going to be. And I believe, Coach, that their priority has to be, and their first priority, number one, has to be to protect Tom Brady. And we've talked about it. You've gone against Tom. We've talked about it the last decade. When he feels pressure, he's just not the same quarterback, and they put pressure on him. They hit him. And maybe the the question, maybe the solution is go six-man protection, go seven-man protection, maybe get one or two guys less in pass routes to protect Tom Brady because that has to be the number one priority. If you can't protect him, then we see he's forcing the ball down the field, doing things that he's not comfortable with doing. Yeah, they've got to figure out their offensive identity. Against the Panthers, we saw a lot of two tight ends. They got it working that way. When Tom Brady is expected to throw the ball down the field, and maybe he wants to, guys, maybe after a week that began with Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson in primetime on Thursday, Patrick Mahomes in primetime on Sunday, and then a rematch with Jared Goff from Super Bowl 53, primetime Monday night, maybe Tom Brady wanted to throw the ball down the field. Maybe he has a little too much influence over that offense. He was one for nine of throws 15 yards or more with two interceptions last night. They can't throw the ball down the field. He doesn't have time to do it. It's not working. They have to get back to two tight ends, run the ball, set up play action, and throw out of those formations if they want to be consistently effective. Bruce Arians spoke a lot about the execution of the plays, but Mike, I mean, what it sounds like you're saying is maybe this needs an adjustment from the coaching standpoint. you got to get back to certain things that work for you. 
I think at some point Bruce Arians has to step in and really say, this is how we are going to be. This is what we are going to do. I don't know whether or not maybe Byron Leftwich is a little too deferential to Tom. Maybe Tom wants to be throwing the ball down the field and throwing the ball all over the place and showing everyone he can still do what he used to do. I don't know where this is coming from, but they're too inconsistent in their overall approach. They have to figure out what their identity is. It can't change every week. They have the pieces to have a good offense, but it's not going to be a good offense if Tom Brady's dropping back in the pocket, can't move out of the pocket, make something happen, and has to get rid of the ball before the walls cave in on him because we saw it last night. The walls are going to cave Mike. in on him. Hey, Mike, I don't think this is I don't think this is Tom Brady's doing. I mean, we've seen Tom Brady in the same system for the last two decades. Tom wants to run the football. He wants to get rid of the ball quickly, play action pass, eventually come out in empty formation, get rid of the ball quickly. I think this is more Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich influence as opposed to Tom Brady. I just I don't think Tom Brady is the one to drop back and want to just throw the ball down the field because Tom's not about stats. Tom is about trying to win the football game. So whatever it takes, whether he throws the ball for 150 yards or he throws the ball for 350 yards, Tom's not caught up in his stats. That's something that Bruce Arians has to do a better job of getting Tom and doing what's comfortable with Tom. All this down the field throws. I mean, think about Tom Brady. He's got nine interceptions right now that's one more than he had all last year so they're forcing the ball and then you look at Jameis Winston it seems like everybody in Bruce Arians system they throw interceptions Jameis Winston had 33 Tom has nine so you have to look at the coach well and when they were really effective if you look at it the empty sets throwing the ball fast getting it to Antonio Brown getting it to all their playmakers quickly and then taking your shots off play action. They would bring the two tight ends in, three tight ends, and now you've got Gronkowski or you've got Mike Evans on one-on-one -on -one situations. You've got protection and throw the ball down the field, and it's been effective. But just lining up, as you say, dropping back, trying to throw those 25-yard post routes and those fades, uh, that hasn't been there. So I, I do agree with you, Rodney. I think looking at the style of play and how they do it, uh, they, they can be fine. And coach, you, you talk about their defense earlier, and what I've noticed is they have a tremendous amount of athletes across the board, but they play too much zone. And sitting back, and good quarterbacks eat up zone coverage, especially you don't have a, a lot of pressure. And I just think they have to go to, and start implementing a little bit more man-to-man -man coverage, and that's really been a weakness in their secondary, and that's the big question in secondary. We know they got physical safeties. They got some athletes on the outside, but can these guys hold up in man-to-man -man coverage? That's the big question. Listen, all the headlines are going to be about Tom Brady, and rightfully so. You figure everything he's done, all the weapons he has around him. But on the other side of this, you know, Tony, I'm curious, the Rams' defense, the way they're playing right now, does that have you believing that the Rams could be a team that represent the NFC in the Super Bowl? I do like the Rams. Rodney talks about being able to play man coverage. They've got that. They've got pass rushers. Uh, they, last year, they had trouble stopping the run, but they, it seemed like with this new system, they're playing better run defense. And obviously, their, their offense is going to score points. They played from ahead a lot. So uh, I, I think the Rams are as tough as anybody in the NFC. The problem with all these teams are nobody's playing consistent ball. We watched uh, Tampa Bay against Green Bay, and we said, oh, Tampa's the best team. Uh, we watch New Orleans take Tampa apart. Tampa's the best team. But everybody's having these up-and-down games. Who can string together five or six weeks in a row of good football? And, Coach, you know what I like about their defense? 
it's no longer all Aaron Donald. You see Brockers, you see Leonard Floyd, you see the secondary stepping up. And I remember after the Buffalo game, I was very disappointed in their secondary because they didn't look like they had any intensity, any continuity. They were missing a bunch of tackles. And ever since that game, it's like each week they've gotten better. They've, they've improved in coverage. They improved in tackling. And Jalen Ramsey, he's been outstanding. And Coach, the point you made is an excellent one. In the AFC, we know it's the Steelers and the Chiefs. In the NFC, we change our mind every week. And right now, for now at least, the Rams look to be as balanced as anyone. But you know what? So do the Saints. And I wish those two teams would play at some point during the regular season so we could settle it on the field. Maybe we'll settle it again in the playoffs like a couple of years ago. Well, hopefully not with the ending we had a couple of years ago. But, Rodney, before we move on, did you compliment Jared Goff there? I just want to rewind for a second. Were you saying Jared Goff? I've always said Country Club, Mr. Country Club is a good quarterback. But, you know, sometimes in those tight situations. <laughs> hey, but well, I tell you this, to, to that you point, though, Rodney, third down and, and eight last night to win the game. They ran the ball. Yeah. And that, that tells you something. Yeah, it's something about trust. And there's a compliment in there, even if it's added with the country club nickname to it. <laughs> Rodney, one thing you did say over the weekend, though, you did say best defense in the league belongs to the New Orleans Saints right now. We have to say the last three games definitely been superb. What, three points against the Bucs, not blowout on our, in our game on Sunday night, 13 points against the 49ers. Then nine points against a Falcons team that usually, even if they lose, puts up some points. Had a couple days to digest Man. this. You looked at the numbers around the league. You sticking with this? Saints, best defense in the NFL? Hey, Liam, forget about the stats and all those other things. The most important thing is how, how where you're playing. And like Coach say, if you're playing consistent, you look at that front seven, their ability to get after the quarterback, Hendrickson, Cameron Jordan. DeMario Davis has been absolutely outstanding. He's one of the best linebackers, if not the best middle linebacker in all of football. You look at a guy like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who's just a, been a symbolism of just versatility, playing different positions, the energy, the physicality, all those different things. And re remember earlier in the year, Malcolm Jenkins, he struggled. He was playing terrible. I'm looking at him like he's gotten old. He's lost a step. Now he's starting to play a lot better. So they're going to be even, even better once Marshawn Lattimore gets back. Well, my problem, though, with New Orleans is you see these type of games and you'll see a quarter or three quarters like that. And then you'll see a couple of plays where guys are running wide open and you say, what's going on in that secondary? I think when they concentrate, when they're on their game, they are as good as anybody. I've just seen a little bit too much roller coaster, and maybe they're going to get that out of them and, and play that consistent ball in November and December. Tony, who do you think has the best defense in the league? I, I don't see a great defense out there. And I, I see up and down performance, and um, I, I think the Rams and New Orleans are playing as well as anybody right now but you can look at other games early in the season where you don't see that. So uh, I'm not sure who has the best defense right now. I, I, guys, I'll tell you the top three defenses as I see it. I would say the Saints, the Rams, and um, who's the other team? I just forgot about the Rams, the Saints. Steelers? and Oh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Flor Mike can you disagree with that, Florio? Well, look, I, I think the Steelers have the best players 
on defense at every level. It's just we've seen too many times this year where they're not dominant and the offense has to bail them out, you know, as they keep winning game after game after game. But they're not dominant weekly and they do have to to find a way to just outscore a team that they should beat by 10, 15, 20 or more points. But I think they have the star potential at every level, which is going to serve them well when the playoffs roll around. So, Florio, you and think the, that a defense has – hold on one second, Coach. You, you think a defense <laughs> has to show dominance every single week in order to show that they're good? Or do you look at it like the Pittsburgh Steelers, even against lesser competition, they're finding ways to win? Well, I, I, I look at it as they're not a dominant defense unless they're dominating on a regular basis. But they're good enough to bend but not break like they did against the Ravens. I think the Ravens game was indicative of what the Steelers are this year. From time to time, they are going to line up against teams that we look at and say they're not as good as that team, like the Chiefs. I hope that those two teams cross paths in the playoffs because the Chiefs will be favored, but the Steelers will quite possibly find a way to win because that's what they do, regardless of whether it's a lesser team or a better team. Rodney, point you made over the weekend, it's the NFL. They're all good teams. Even the bad teams are good. And if you are able to win every single week, you're doing something right. And the Steelers are doing something right on both sides of the ball and on special teams. The two things that Steeler defense does well, which you need to win a Super Bowl, they take the football away and they can rush the passer. Uh, they don't play consistent all the time. They don't, they're not always in their gaps. They're not always great for 60 minutes. But in crunch time, they take the ball away and they can rush the passer. And, Coach, the last point that I was thinking when you watch their tape, they don't get discouraged when you hit a big play on them defensively because they just feel like they have so much talent. You talked about how much talent they have, Florio. But even when they get in the red zone, they have so much confidence in their ability to take the ball away. They don't panic. They just stay calm. They wait for that pass rush. And you see Minka, one of those guys, making big plays. Yeah, and Tony, to your earlier point about the idea that maybe there isn't a great defense because we don't see it week in, week out. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I think you'd have to have the Ravens right at the top of this list defensively. Yeah. And this is a team that was the top seed in the AFC last year right now on the bubble, on the outside looking in. They dropped the back-to-back games, and then you look ahead to our game. Thursday night against the Steelers, you're not going to have Mark Ingram. You're not going to have J.K. Dobbins. You're not going to have Brandon Williams all because of COVID-related issues. This matchup... It's interesting because this is a team that overcame some COVID-related issues when they beat Indianapolis. But now this seems like a lot to overcome in a big moment against a massive opponent, Tony. And I think it's going to be their defense that has to come through. Pittsburgh, the last couple of times they played Lamar Jackson, they've confused him. And he hasn't been great. They've moved the ball, but they've turned it over. They haven't been that dominant running team. So I think this defense is going to have to go in and and shut them down. They're going to have to think maybe a 17-point, 20 points at the most. And I haven't seen that from this defense in the last few weeks. They've got to get that swagger back. And if you're the Ravens, this is the most important week of the season because you're coming off consecutive losses and you have some doubts and things like that. Now you can't be in, in the facility around your teammates, around your coaches. You know, it's different. Like when I'm in studio with you guys, me and Mike Florio, we're in the studio with you guys hanging out. It's totally different but from being on Zoom calls because when you're there, you get a chance to really interact with your coaches, see guys face-to-face. You know the tone of the room. It's just totally different. I think that's going to have an effect on them. Short week, two straight losses, working virtually, going to Pittsburgh. 
the Ravens are on the ropes, and the challenge for the Steelers is going to be punching them through. And and the Steelers have the ability to do it. Mike Tomlin said yesterday they have to match the Ravens' desperation, but the Ravens are going to be desperate on Thursday night. The question is, will they have a fair opportunity to be ready for this game when they have missed their practice time this week because the facility is shut down and they're doing everything via Zoom call? Rodney, you're right. It's not the same, especially if you're trying to get ready for a football game. Hey, Flory, I wanted to ask a question because I was wondering about Mark Ingram. And you see, he was really the energizer bunny. I thought he was, you know, as Lamar was the MVP last year, but Lamar was really, to me, the energy of that um, team. Like, what's going on with him, with him not getting reps? Is he still hurt or are they just going in a different direction because of J.K. Dobbins? I think that during the period that Mark Ingram missed, the Ravens were able to come to the conclusion that it's time to move forward with J.K. Dobbins. Next year, Ingram is due to make $5 million for a running back. That is a lot of money. He's been around since 2011 when he was a first-round pick of the Saints. It's just reaching the natural end of the road for Ingram because of the position he plays, and I think the Ravens understand if they want to – to sustain this, at some point they need to be ready to reload that position, and I think that's where they're going. But they're not going to have either guy on Thursday night. It's Gus Edwards because <laughs> both Ingram and Dobbins tested positive. They will not be back in time for the game. And these are the games the Steelers typically have. We haven't seen great performances. Oh, they don't have their running backs. They've got a short week. They haven't been playing great. COVID. Uh, and, and you would see the Steelers go out and maybe play a lesser game. But I think the fact that it's Baltimore and the bitterness of that rivalry, uh, we're going to see the Steelers play well. Knock them well, out now while wonder- you can. You don't want to see them in <laughs> yes. January. Knock them yep. out now while you can. Yep. Well, and I wonder if we see the Ravens elevate their physical play because I'm curious, Rodney, bigger concern coming off the weekend, Lamar Jackson, the lack of sort of big plays and splash plays, or the fact that at times that Ravens defense looks like looked like it got bullied it got pushed around a bit well we know about lamar jackson we know that he's a young quarterback still trying to develop still trying to figure it out so he's going to be up and down to a certain degree but to me it's more concerning with that defense and that defense was always built on their reputation of being tough guys being physical and really controlled on the line of scrimmage and i just haven't seen him do it this year we saw them get completely run through with the Patriots. We saw it against the Tennessee Titans. And to me, when I'm, if as a DB, if I'm seeing our guys get run through up front, I'm like, I'm discouraged because that's the heart and soul of our defense right there. But they need those guys back, Kalis Campbell and um, um, Williams. All right, of course, earlier on Thanksgiving, it's the Cowboys against the football team. It is Andy Dalton against Alex Smith, just how everyone planned it at the beginning of the year. Listen, is it a great matchup? No. Is it an important matchup? Yes, because the winner of this game is going to temporarily at least take over the top spot in the NFCs. Nothing really gives me greater pleasure than asking on this magical mystery tour of NFC East how you think one of these matchups is going to play out. Mike Florial, I'll start with you. What do you see happening this week? Well, what's going to happen is, barring a tie on Thursday, and I can't rule out a tie with the NFC East teams, somebody will have doubled their win total for the entire season in a five-day stretch from Sunday to Thursday because both Dallas and Washington won. And, you know, it's still a big game. There's going to be 30 million people who tune in, even if half of us are in a turkey-induced coma, but it's still going to be something that we pay attention to. It always feels bigger on on Thanksgiving, right? It, the, the lights seem brighter at the Cowboys Stadium. They have the big Salvation Army cap- 
kettle there. Maybe Ezekiel Elliott will jump into it again. And whoever wins that game is going to develop a glow, an aura, a shine that they can be the team that takes over the division. And, you know, with the Eagles not being able to find their own way, I really do think whoever wins this team is going to get a lift. They get a mini buy going into the final five games, and they're going to feel good about themselves hitting the stretch run and uh, you know the Cowboys I think are the best team on paper they just consistently over the past several years haven't been able to live up to their potential if they can pull this one off especially after how badly they looked against the Washington team when they played earlier this year it could give the Cowboys the boost they need to try to steal the division look guys this is not a marquee matchup okay go ahead coach if you want to go no I was gonna say I honestly believe they could do it and make a little run uh, Andy Dalton is a good quarterback. If they have enough passing game, and we've seen C.D. Lamb come on, they've got receivers, that's going to help Elliott. They've got enough talent where if they feel, hey, we're coming back, we're getting healthy, we can do something, uh, they could get on a little run and, and be problematic here in, in December. I agree with you, Coach, as far as the um, Dallas Cowboys. But to me, it's, it's a little different because I look at Alex Smith and, and being a guy that gone, had gone through such a terrible knee injury myself, I just look at Alex Smith and what he's been able to do to, to rehab and the toughness and the mental toughness that it takes to rehab yourself back to where you're playing on the football field. And he's blessed enough to be able to play on Thanksgiving. And Andy Dalton, last time we saw him, he's getting his head knocked off. Nobody's coming to his rescue. But it's really good to see these guys. And I do and I do believe what you say, Coach. Like, Andy Dalton has a chance. I mean, he's an experienced quarterback in this league. He can make some plays. He's got the weapons around him. And I look forward to seeing Ezekiel Elliott um, get hot and, and, and really get it going. And Mike, you're right. It's a big game. Both teams come into this one red hot, riding identical <laughs> one game winning streaks. It's a big deal in the NFCs. First Cowboys coming off that win over Minnesota, which was sparked by Mike McCarthy doing his best Gallagher impression on Saturday night team meeting before the game. And he's trying to inspire some guys. So he gets a real sledgehammer, gets some watermelons. They write the objectives for the game on the watermelons, and he goes out there and just starts smashing them. Team's going wild. Demarcus Lawrence apparently got in on the act. This is next level motivation. Uh, So I'm curious from you guys, the best motivational speech you've seen or just heard of during your time in the game. Rodney, start with you. I'll go um, Super Bowl. I think it was Super Bowl 38 when Coach Belichick Um, He came in, and Coach Belichick, when you spend time with him, he gives you bits and pieces and stuff like that, and the conversation is pretty pretty much always short. But he came in there, he talked about how important it was for us to stick together as a team and what it meant to win a Super Bowl and the price that you have to pay in order to win a Super Bowl and what it means down the line in your life. Um, the hair, um, just the legacy and everything that you lead, man, after that speech, because I never heard anything really like that from Coach Belichick. I wanted to run through a brick wall, but I knew once I left that meeting room that we were definitely going to win that Super Bowl. For me, Liam, 2006 AFC Championship game, we're down 21-6 to um, the Patriots, Rodney's team at halftime. I knew it was a desperation situation, so I borrowed one that I'd heard Bum Phillips say years before, men, we're playing terrible. If we don't start playing better fast, we're going to lose. That was it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and look, the, the guy who's got the least football experience will go last. But I'll tell you, here's an example of how things just burn into your brain when you're young. I was 10 years old, first year of playing organized football. We were in the Catholic League Championship and getting our butts kicked at halftime. And I don't play. I only got in when we were up 35 nothing, which happened a few times that year. But I'm sitting on one of the benches in the locker room, and the coach comes in, and he kicks this cardboard box, and it hits right next to me, and orange peels go flying everywhere, and everybody got quiet, and everybody listened, and it didn't make a difference. We still got our butts kicked. <laughs> Mike, what position did you play? I was a lineman, short and fat. Put him on the and line. You, you, know, it's funny. you know, it's funny because when, when I coach youth football, all the kids, we loved all the kids, of course, but the scrubby kids like Mike Florio, you just take and you put them on a defensive line and you kind of hide them because there was always a minimum <laughs> amount of plays that you had to play, 10 plays. So I'm taking Florio and I'm putting him as the, the defensive tackle for 10 plays and then you're out of there, Mike. We didn't have enough players to do a full scrimmage in practice, so I'm a fifth grader, and I was the <laughs> nose tackle. And the center, I was like looking up at a California redwood tree, and thankfully he wasn't a bully. He could have killed me every practice if he wanted to, and he didn't. I love that. Scrubby kid is a term of endearment there from yes, Rodney. Yes, Absolutely. Hey, listen, no one's got less <laughs> football experience than I do. Uh, I, I played soccer my whole life. I played soccer in college. But I had a college teammate tell me about a motivational speech that he got from his high school coach, Back in the day, there was a kid on the team whose dad had been the town mayor and he had just lost his bid for re-election. Now, this kid wasn't the most talented player on the team, but he'd been playing really hard. He'd been playing well. So the coach kind of singled him out. And he's like, hey, Davis, the way you're playing, the way you're running around, the way you're doing things, everyone needs to play like that. Everyone needs to model themselves after you. In fact, Davis, you're playing so well. Next time, I'm going to vote for your dad. Now get out there. <laughs> inspirational words i think what All this right. tells us Lim, is motivational speeches are overrated huh yeah definitely but definitely. let me let me just say this let me let me put a button on it with this now it was a different time in the 70s and coaches were able to do different things but the coach of my grade school team if you were loafing if you were lollygagging, if you weren't getting it done, you got a foot in your butt or you got dragged around by your face mask. And to this day, one of the reasons I never stand still, I still, and maybe this isn't a good thing, but I still fear that that foot is going to hit me right in the butt or somebody's going to grab me by the face mask and drag me around. So I always keep moving, guys. Hey, Coach, I asked one of your ex-players. I'm not going to tell you which player. I said, um, I know Coach is kind of a reserved guy. Like, what did he do to get you motivated? And he said, Coach never had to say really anything. And really, you provided him with perspective. But he said, we loved and respected Coach so much. We knew how important it was in the time that he spent. We wanted to go out there and always win for Coach. So your players, man, they got so much love for you, Coach. You didn't have to go screaming and throwing things <laughs> and throwing chairs and stuff. Hey, sometimes it's about love. Sometimes you just don't want to disappoint someone. Sometimes it's about taking a sledgehammer and smashing watermelons. <laughs> it just depends what works for your guys. Listen, guys, always great to chat with you. Looking forward to this weekend. Looking forward to Thursday night. Happy Thanksgiving to you all.